0: So this morning we continue our sermon series on failures and faithfulness. This is something we are doing during the season of Lent for visitors. And uh, we're looking at Bible characters who failed in uh, sometimes small but often in spectacular ways. And then seeing how God uh, remains faithful through our failure. Uh, And today, it's a bit of a challenge. We're doing Samson. And the thing with Samson is if you really want to hear the gospel and get a full sense of his is failure and our hope you got to do the whole story and the whole story is four chapters long which is obviously unworkable so you see that you have a very messy bible reading this morning and what i'm going to do is i'm going to read a bit fill in the story read a bit fill in the story i want to, you to have a rich sense of samson's life because i know and this is something you find as a preacher even if you go up in the church and you think you know this story you heard it when you were a kid Uh, and then you read it, and you're like, oh, I forgot that part, or, oh, I've never noticed that detail. So I I want you to have a rich sense of of this man, and the way he lived, and ultimately, the way he failed. So let's begin at the beginning, and uh, you'll hear that the the life of Samson will begin with uh, the Lord declaring that he's going to be special. Again, these Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but go you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you eat nothing unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, you get a sense right away that, that something miraculous is happening here. A woman who is said to not be able to bear children is going to bear a child. The angel declares this child will be special. He'll have a special mission to the deliverance Of God's people and that emphasis on how special and how called Samson will be uh, is really uh, pronounced in Scripture because really the whole of chapter 13 is about that if you read the whole thing the angel shows up repeatedly and over and over again we hear how God is going to do something special through this boy which brings us to chapter 14 the beginning of chapter 14 we finally see Samson in action And what do we see? Do we see some great holy work? Not so much. Listen. Oh wait, no, first I want to read the end of the chapter. I promised I'd do that. Here's how how the chapter ends. And you'll get a sense of the the call. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manachanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And now we hear Samson act. Samson went down to Timnah. And he saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? So Samson um, immediately chases this Philistine woman and uh, ends up engaged to her, as you know. And prior to the engagement, he makes a bet with his groomsmen, all 30 of them. He's got 30 groomsmen, that's a big wedding. And the bet uh, comes from a riddle. He tells them a riddle, and if they solve the riddle, he will give them an article of clothes each, uh, which will be 30, and if they solve it, they will give him 30 articles of clothing. And the riddle surrounds an experience he's had just recently. Uh, A few months before, he'd been going down the road when a young lion attacked him, and with his bare hands, because Samson's very strong, he tears the lion apart, kills the lion. Then a few days later he comes by, finds the carcass of the lion, and finds that some honeybees have put a honeycomb in the dead carcass. So he goes over, takes some of the honey, and he eats it, and he gives some to his parents. And that's where the riddle comes from the riddle is out of the eater something to eat out of the strong something sweet well his groomsmen of course can't solve this riddle how would they ever be able to solve this riddle but they don't want to lose the bat and so they lean on samson's fiance they threaten her family and say if you don't tell us this riddle we're going to mess with your family and so she bends and she gives up the solution to the riddle the groomsmen win the bat and Samson is furious. And the way he pays his bet, maybe you remember, he goes out and he kills 30 Philistine men, takes their clothes and pays the bet. And things kind of devolve from there. After that, um, Samson's fiance leaves him for one of the groomsmen. In retaliation, Samson goes out and he kills a whole bunch of Philistines. In retaliation, the Philistines kill his fiance and her father. In retaliation, Samson sets their fields on fire. And you remember how he did that. He, he tied torches to the tails of foxes and let them run riot through the fields and burned all their crops. In retaliation, the Philistines then gathered an entire army whose sole purpose was to take Hampton captive. Now, as you can, rem- as you can imagine, the Israelites who are under the Philistines right now are getting really nervous about what Samson is doing And so they go to Samson and and they make Samson agree, we're going to take you into custody and we're going to hand you over to the Philistines because we don't want any more trouble. So this is where we pick up the story. Samson is bound and the Israelites are about to hand him over to the Philistines, chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. As he approached Lehi, where the Philistine army was, the Philistines came towards him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then Samson said, he sings this song, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, threw away the jawbone and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. So you read the whole story after the jawbone incident, things sort of calmed down until predictably Samson's wandering eye gets him in trouble again. Chapter 16. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went and spent the night with her. The people of Gaza were told Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them onto his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman, another Philistine, in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So it only takes uh, five verses uh, to get Samson involved with two complicated women. And the, the most complicated of the two was definitely Delilah. Uh, Delilah uh, tries to wheedle out of him the secret of his strength. And it takes four, four attempts. But eventually, she finds out that if his hair is cut, he will have the strength of an ordinary man. So in the middle of the night, she cuts off Samson's hair. And in the morning, the Egyptian, the Philistines show up and they take Samson captive and he tries to fight, but he's weak. And they take him into captivity, and this is how the story ends, beginning at verse 21. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in their prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate by saying, our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they said, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. The temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines and then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it he killed many more when he died than while he lived. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's quite a story. I think you will agree. And if you really want to, uh, you should go back and read the whole thing for yourself. And there's even more details. I just don't have time to bring them all out. Um, in this sermon series, we've been looking at biblical characters who failed, biblical characters who fell, and up till now I think we can safely say that the failures, the people who failed, their failures have been high-minded. They've represented the high aspirations of human beings. Like, so Adam and Eve wanted independence and mastery, right? And. Moses wanted to be a, a great leader, and he wanted to be a hard-working leader, only he'd begun to think that he was indispensable to God's purposes. They both failed, but they were kind of high-minded failures, right? Because independence and mastery, prop, in, its, in its proper place, is a good thing. And certainly good leadership, in its proper place, is a good thing. So these were failures of noble aspiration. Is Samson's failure a failure of noble aspiration? Not so much. Not so much. Samson is a man governed by his appetites. And these appetites are not the higher appetites of us human beings. These appetites are the base appetites. Revenge, food, and women. Especially women. More specifically, Samson's lust. It wasn't the women's fault. It's Samson's fault. Lust. He has no self-control. When he sees what he wants, he takes it, and he cannot stop himself. And that's especially strange when you consider that he's been marked from birth very clearly as someone who's been set aside for God's purposes. I'm sure that his mother taught him from when he was very young, you are special child, you are going to do something special for the Lord. Now, if that's what you've heard from when you were young, you'd think that you'd be focused you think you'd have this goal, this role that you know you were destined to in life, that you would set aside all these things and focus on the person you're supposed to be. And these failures of appetite are even more surprising when you consider that Samson was a Nazirite. What's a Nazirite? A Nazirite is kind of an Old Testament monk. Not only do they keep the regular law of God, a Nazirite goes above and beyond, so they are called to extra self-control, extra self-control discipline right a nazirite was supposed to be exceptional in his self-control samson was a terrible nazirite he just followed his appetites and i'm just going to go through four specific ways there could be more but just lift up four ways in which he failed both as a nazirite and as an israelite as a child of god first of all one of the rules for a nazirite special rule for them is that you were never even allowed to be in the presence of a dead body ordinary Israelites could be unclean by touching a dead body, a Nazarite wasn't even allowed to be in the presence of a dead body, and that was such a big deal that Nazarites weren't even allowed to go to their own parents' funerals. Samson pays no attention to that. When he he sees the dead carcass with the honey in it, he goes and gets the honey. Uh, He kills all those people. He's he's in touch with dead bodies all the time. He pays no attention to that part of his vow, no self-control. A Nazarite was not supposed to eat unclean things. Once again, Samson disobeys that rule with impunity. He sees the honey in the carcass, right? That's unclean honey. It's in a dead body. He doesn't stop. He takes, he eats, he gives some to his parents. It's all appetite. Samson, see honey. Samson, want honey. Samson, eat honey. Like all Israelites... Samson um, was supposed to restrict his affections to Israelite women. Again, Samson pays absolutely no attention to that. Samson goes down to Timnah, he sees this young Philistine woman, and he goes home and says, Mom, Dad, get her for me, I want her. He sees a prostitute, boom. He sees Delilah, goes after her. Samson see woman, Samson want woman, Samson get woman. I'd say it was caveman, Morality, except that would be an insult to cavemen. <laughs> one more failure, and this one is, is really interesting. It's really clear at the beginning of the, of the passages that I read that Samson is called to be a special leader of Israel, right? He's supposed to help Israel in its liberation from the Philistines. He's supposed to rally the people of Israel and lead them to a great victory and to freedom. Is Samson a leader of the Israelites? Does he rally the Israelites around himself? Nope. Never. Yes, he kills a lot of Philistines, but it's all personal vendetta. It's all personal vengeance. He doesn't do it for the glory of God. He doesn't do it for the glory of Israel. He just does it because he's mad. He kills those 30 men because he wants to settle a bet. He kills a whole lot of Philistines because they took his wife. And then finally, he kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Um, why does he do that? Because they're trying to take him captive. It's not about it's not about God. It's not about Israel. It's not about his mission. It's about him. And if you want proof of that, look at the song that he sings after he does the killing, after he wins his victory. It's very customary in Scripture that after a warrior wins a big victory, that they give thanks and praise to God for the victory they won. Judges seven, Deborah wins a victory. Over Sisera, what does she do? You have the song of Deborah. Praise you, Lord, for this victory that you have given me. In the Psalms, you have some of David's songs of praise after victory. Psalm 118, right? Very clearly a psalm that David has won a victory, and then he says, Lord, thank you for the victory. I'm going to join the festal procession up to the author and make, up to the, up to the, up to the offering and make an offering to you. Now look at Samson's song. It's all about him hey world look what I did I killed a thousand people I am the man he brags like a middle school insecure boy when you read the whole story and start really focusing and digging down on his failures it's it's almost too egregious Samson's failures are so outrageous that it's almost tempting to say wow that guy he's really messed up well I'm really glad I'm not like him thank you Lord That I am not like Samson in my sinfulness. But that is not what this Bible story allows us to do. When scripture tells us the sins of Samson, it doesn't want us to push them away. It wants us to identify with these sins. It wants Israel and us to understand that we are more like Samson than we think. How is that so? Well, the book of Judges... Um, would have been first assembled and put together in the form we have it now, during the Babylonian captivity, right? The story of Samson happened a long time before the Babylonian captivity, but the stories of Israel were accumulated and written down during the Babylonian captivity. If you were an Israelite in the Babylonian captivity and someone read you the story of Judges while you were in captivity, you would have said, oh my goodness, that's us. We are Samson. Samson's story is our story. How is that so? Just like Samson, Israel began with a special call, a call to be light to the nations. Just like Samson, that special call began with a miraculous birth to people who were supposed to be barren, this time Abram and Sarah. Just like Samson, Israel was given a special set of rules it was supposed to follow, to discipline itself to, Just like Samson, because of her appetites, Israel obeyed, disobeyed most of those rules. Just like Samson, Israel instead had an appetite for foreign women and foreign gods. And just like Samson, her sins got her taken into captive and put in chains. And then one more parallel, this one the most striking. Bible quiz. Just before Israel went into captivity in Babylon, what did the Babylonians do to the last king of Israel? Zedekiah. Just before they took him into captivity, what do they do to him? Do you remember? It's not an easy question. They put out his eyes. If Israel read this story, there is no question that they would say, oh my goodness, this is my story. This is our story. Samson sins. Are our sins and it's not just Israel who's called to identify with Samson we are too we're not that different from him like Samson we have been called to a special mission in the world to be light to the whole world and a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and just like Samson that mission was given to us right at the beginning of our life at that baptismal font and just like Samson as we go about this mission, we're given special rules, or even boundaries that we're supposed to walk, things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. But just like Samson, our appetites get us in trouble, and we wander. Of course, we're more discreet than he is. We've learned when we indulge our appetites to go for more socially acceptable things. Most of us are not lurching after prostitutes, thank heavens. We've learned socially acceptable, discreet ways to indulge our appetites, leisure, pleasures, luxuries. Let's be honest about what's in our hearts, because that's what this is about, what's in our hearts, our daydreams, the things we lean towards. We're called to be God's representatives in this world. In scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength one holy passion filling all your frame the things of God are supposed to fill you from the top to the bottom so crystal clear but be honest in your daydreams in the things that occupy your mind from day to day during the week are you thinking about the witness of the gospel are you thinking about clothing the hungry clothing the naked lifting up the poor, building the kingdom? Or our daydreams about pleasures and leisure and ordinary middle-class comforts, renovations, luxuries? We are much more like Samson than we think. And it came to pass that Peter Yonker went down to Timna, I mean 29th Street, And he saw there a Tesla Model S. And when he returned, he said to his wife, behold, I've seen a Tesla Model S. Now go get her for me, for my driveway. (laughs) Now granted, it's not chasing prostitutes, and, and, of course, there's nothing wrong with... with, with we need cars, to, right? We all need cars. In this world, you need a car to live. But it's about what's in your heart, right? It's about what's in your daydreams. It's about what fills your imagination from day to day. Are we really so different than Samson when it comes to the appetites that fill our mind? Look carefully at the history of, and story of Samson, and you can see in it, a call to examine your heart, examine your imagination, and to consider your appetites and to discipline them more tightly to the Lord your God. But examine the story closely, and you also see much more than that. You also see the place where your salvation comes from. Because here's an interesting thing about Samson Did you know that Samson shows up in the Faith Hall of Fame? Samson is in the Faith Hall of Fame. You know what Hall of Fame I'm talking about? Hebrews 11, right? The preacher of Hebrews has this whole chapter where he just lists all these super faithful people, and Abraham's in there, and Sarah's in there, and David's in there, and Joseph's in there. And those are the people you'd expect, right? But in there with them is Samson. What is Samson, this womanizer, this vengeful man, doing in the Faith Hall of Fame? He's not in there for his own merits. He's in there because of the merits of someone towards whom his life points. Samson's only real moment of Godward faithfulness comes right at the end of his life. He's been captured and shaved and he's brought in front of the Philistines who mock him and make sport of him. And in that last moment, he finally prays to God and says, Lord, please let me win a victory here. And he knocks down that temple, and in his death, he ends up accomplishing his purposes and liberating God's people. But even then, let me point out, he's far from perfect. He does Again, he's still doing it for himself. Look at verse 28. Is he doing it for God and for Israel? No, He's doing it for vengeance on his two eyes. Even at the highest point of his life, his obedience is just halfway. And yet it is at that moment that Samson's story points towards the faithfulness of another. Someone else born under miraculous circumstances that should not have been conceived, this time conceived of a virgin. Someone else whose birth was announced by an angel. Someone else whose whole life was put under a special purpose, to save his people from their sins. Someone else who is betrayed for some pieces of silver. Someone else who was mocked and put on display. and Someone else who at the moment of weakness, a moment of death, a moment that looked like complete defeat, stretched out his arms and won the greatest victory. Not by bringing down rubble on top of his enemies, but by opening up from heaven a river of grace that is strong enough and deep enough and wide enough and wild enough that apparently it can even put someone like Samson in the faith hall of fame and wash away all his sins and clothe him with righteousness, which is an enormous comfort for all of us who have failed. And an enormous comfort for all of us who have people we love who have failed or who are failing, that this river is strong enough to sweep up them. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your gospel of grace. We take refuge in it week after week. Um, Lord, we know that we're called uh, to be your people in this world. And we know that we fall short of that. And we know that our appetites and the imaginations of our hearts are are not always turned towards you. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we want to do better than that. Wash us, fill us, continue to transform us. But in the meantime, most especially, um, hold us in your grace and receive us by your mercy. Amen.